It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. As President Trump exits office in a hail of conspiracy and baseless allegations about a fraudulent election, the time has come for us to discuss the much-vaunted QAnon, led by a shadowy online figure known as Q. He is someone that is very much loves his country, and he's on the same page as us, and he is very pro-Trump, okay? The verifiably absurd online conspiracy theory that has ruined lives and families has seduced millions of people and even helped propel members of Congress into seats. And it just inspired a violent occupation of Capitol Hill. Marc-André Argentino, a PhD candidate at Concordia University who studies QAnon and someone who's become a leading voice on the extremist political movement, is on the show to talk Q. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So, um, Marc-André, it's not all the time I get to speak with someone who is in Quebec. But today, we're going to be talking about what everyone's probably going to be talking about, but I have the unique experience of getting to, to speak with you, somebody who's an expert on QAnon, and I'm just going to ask you straight up, because I think a lot of people are going to be thinking this, how did QAnon and this insane, absurdist, online conspiracy theory basically give rise to, I think, one of the only stormings of of the state capital in Washington, D.C., the most powerful capital in the entire world in the modern era? Like, how did this happen? How did it how did it how did it affect that? I think, honestly, it's a culmination of you know, multiple events that have been happening for the past five years. This really just didn't start with QAnon, but you know, I think we need to remember the type of environment that has been going on since 2015, the contentious election then, Pizzagate in 2016, that kind of really laid the groundwork for the type of movements like QAnon and the other far-right movements that are present on Capitol Hill today. And the reason why we're seeing this type of, I guess, success and seeing individuals from QAnon at the forefront, a lot of the individuals charging on Capitol Hill today is – how QAnon is really rooted in this anti-establishment and apocalyptic ideology. They do want to remove the existing corrupt world and usher in their promised golden age. And without any political solutions left to them, this is the options that they have now. They've exhausted all their you know, constitutional witchcraft that they thought that Pence could commit, anything that could happen from the Senate, any secret vote, secret ballots, whatever you want. And now it's it's left without any political solution and the right environment at the right time happened and everyone just pushed through and we're seeing the consequences of not taking what would have been considered a very fringe group a year and a half ago seriously. Last year, the FBI labeled the movement a potential domestic terror threat. I stand with President Trump. I stand with Q and the team. Thank you, Anons, and thank you, Patriots. But now, QAnon has firmly taken root in the 2020 campaign trail. Uh, honestly, um, everything that I've heard of Q, I, I hope that I hope that this is real. Some congressional candidates, like Lauren Boebert in Colorado, promoted the conspiracy theory to friendly media outlets, before later calling QAnon fake news. Well, I mean, look, honestly, like I, I've been reporting on terrorism now since 2014, and I vividly remember writing an article in the summer 2019 when the FBI designated a, a an extremist terror threat 
and I wrote this article and I, I kind of like, I kind of thought it was stupid. Like, I'll be honest with you. I really did. And to see where it comes from this sort of this weird, you know, online conspiracy theory of some guy named Q posting these ridiculous things that like, you know, JFK Jr. is coming back to take over the country to actually broadening out and becoming a, a movement that is endorsed by now congressional members. And then now has been supported by a group of people that have have ostensibly taken over Capitol Hill. I mean, this is like totally unprecedented. You just sort of walk me through how such ridiculous conspiracy theory turns into such credible threats to public safety. I think we need to first acknowledge two things. Obviously, 2020 was a very particular year. Um, The pandemic really changed the landscape when it comes to movements like QAnon and some of the movements on the far right. There's been a lot of challenges with COVID, with political, economic and health insecurities. Combine that with, you know, insecurities around an election in a country like the United States. We saw, at least in the work that I was doing on the data side, a massive growth in QAnon. It was actually 5,300% growth in membership only on Facebook. And I was seeing similar numbers on Twitter and YouTube and other platforms where they just really, you know, grew and became in relevance and they became mainstream. Alex Kaplan from Media Matters documented the enormous amount of individuals who ran for Congress under the QAnon banner. So this type of mainstreaming really brought what was something for a fringe group of individuals really into the spotlight and really shone what they were saying to a wider segment of the population. And this really moved it from something that kind of started as a series of conspiracy theories. Like you were saying, it's really hard to take them seriously to an extent, but it really has evolved into a religio-political ideology. And I think this is where the change has come from what QAnon was when it was first formed as a, you know, a LARP on 4chan to really this massive movement that has political and societal implications. And, you know, right now we're looking at you know, second waves of COVID, the impact of the election outcomes, the long-term psychological impacts of indi- on individuals with everything that's gone on. And if you have no trust in the system and in democracy, this is the type of behaviors that are to be expected. And this is really just the, the, the culmination of what's been going on for the past few months. And today was one of the boiling points and we might not be out of it because there is still the inauguration that is to, that will be coming up in a couple of weeks. And that might be another boiling point again. What did you make? Cause you know, you're someone who's I'm sure like myself has been on a lot of online doldrums and kind of become familiar with the spicier characters of, of QAnon. What did you, how did you feel when you saw that image of the QAnon shaman in the Senate chambers. Like that to me just was surreal as hell. I think for me that kind of culminates a little bit of what QAnon is in a way where for those of us who kind of spend a lot of time in these spaces, we understand the symbolism of the QAnon shaman as we look past his goofy outfit and what he means, but really represents more the type of threat an individual like that Represent And there's pictures of him initially breaking through the the gates to get on Capitol Hill. There's a picture of him sitting at the head where Nancy Pelosi sits, just, you know, showing up his biceps and taking pictures with guys dressed in camel fatigue. We see him pushing through security guards. It's, It's really kind of, oh, he looks weird. He looks funny. He's not really a threat. But this is the individual pushing through 
all the security. And this is what QAnon is. It they they look weird, but really what they're pushing is an anti-establishment ideology. They want to destroy the democratic institutions that are in place. They don't perceive democracy the same way we do. And where the digital war ultimately for them has failed, they are rooted in the war narrative. It's not surprising that, you know, with the right environment, they're pushing this into real spaces. And it's just the the natural confluence for a lot of these movements. And we're getting a bird's eye view of what could happen. So what, I mean, you know, you kind of teased it, but what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of weeks? Like, are you, are you concerned as someone who studies this so closely? And now you have, I mean, now you've got, you've got evidence of, of what you've been sort of warning about for five years. I think honestly that like the key point right now is when I was rise was that, you know, if there were delays or complications with the final election results, this is something I was taught writing about with uh, a colleague of mine, Amar Marsingham, that, you know, the, the fact that there's been complications around the election result, this has fed into the pre-existing beliefs that the election was invalid and it fostered a chaotic environment that has led to violence, but we're not done short term. We have an inauguration that, will be perceived as inauthentic. There is going to be another opportunity for this protest. But ultimately, even if we, we're going to make it through the Capitol protests, we're going to make it through the inauguration. But what's going to happen is that you ultimately have almost half of the population that voted for the current leader of the United States. Well, those individuals are still going to be upset about what has happened. So we still have a divided nation that is going to be pushing and pulling on the tensions that we've had for the past five years. And it's just going to continue fomenting. Now, it's going to be, unless there are ways to start bridging these gaps, and you know we won't even know what the impact long-term of the pandemic is going to be on our societies, it's going to be very surprising to me if this is not an issue that is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I don't think it's going to be you know this massive apocalyptic, you know terroristic type violence, though there's always a chance of that like I, I but it's, i don't think it's the majority of cases but i just think that they're going to be given a platform to keep speaking out and unless we really start taking them seriously i think today's an example of why we need to take these groups seriously that we won't be able to deal with them these are not comic you know comical tinfoil hat wearing individuals they're people who really believe that democracy has failed them the political solutions are no longer available to them and they are willing to take matters into their own hands do you, I mean, do you think that there's a, there's a real reason why we haven't taken it seriously? Like, I think I know the answer, but I kind of want you to spell it out. In all honesty, I think part of it has been how some individuals in the media and academia, or even from a political perspective, have just taken this simply as a silly conspiracy theory. And it's understandable because if we were speaking, I think you and I, let's say two years ago, would we really have thought that, you know, the Boogaloo boys, the incels or QAnon would have been the type of threat that they were in 2019 and 2020? I don't think so, because we kind of all were on the same page. The difference is, is that those of us who have researched or worked on this beat have kind of been ringing the bells at least since end of 2019, beginning of 2020, about how this is turning into a bigger threat. And it's taken a lot of time for people to go from, oh, these are just a bunch of crazy individuals, they're Q-nuts, to not realizing that these are real people, real grievances, and they are perceiving the harm against them coming from this large evil that is situated at the core of democracy, and they are willing to do what they need to do to defeat it. So in some ways, I mean, you know, I've been asked this question about, like, what do I think of of ISIS fighters? What do I think of some of these neo-Nazi terrorists? 
Do you ever have any any amount of sympathy for some of these Q believers? Because you know, like QAnon, it's the belief in it and in the conspiracy theory itself. I mean, my colleague Mac Lammer has done a bunch of work on this, but you know, it destroys families. It is. I don't think I'd probably use the word sympathy, but I probably would use the word empathy instead. I could understand the reason why people will turn to QAnon. Like it, at its core, it's really about theodicy. It's about explaining the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen? Why is there war? Why is there child abuse? Why am I losing my job? Why is there a pandemic that's stopping me from running my small business, you know, or my my job or whatever you want? They, they, it's really they're trying to find answers and you know, it's offering them an answer that's black and white and they don't have to navigate the very difficult gray spaces of our lives. But, you know, I, I could sympathize because not only are these individuals trying to deal with very difficult situations, they've just fallen on the wrong item. And maybe if other safety nets or other solutions were made available to them, they might not have fallen down this path. This is not a guarantee, but it just show the vulnerabilities within our democratic societies. And I, I could also feel very bad for the friends and families. I spend a lot of time on the QAnon casualties subreddit. And, you know, I've been receiving plenty of DMs from siblings and friends and uncles and aunts and parents of these members or grandparents. And the stories are just gut-wrenching to see, oh, I had to divorce my husband of 10 years because of his belief, or I left my fiance, or I no longer speak to my parents. The 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 one of the biggest costs is the human cost. You know, you're seeing children being brought into this by their parents and they have no control or willpower into this. And I, I could really empathize with some of these individuals. I don't approve of what they're doing, but I think it we need to realize that there is some human suffering behind their intentions and the way that they're expressing this or trying to deal with it is wrong. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the show and, and explaining this to us because it's a pretty sad day in American history, I would say. Like history, American history. Today it, is a bad day. It is indeed. It was, it's what, 159 years and it the Confederate flag was finally seen flying within the halls of Capitol Hill. And Ugh, I think that is... That's disgusting. That is a sad and angering and frightening and terrifying sight. And as a Canadian, for me, it's... I know there's going to be spillover. We're going to see the impact of this in the weeks and the months to come at home. So the, the so as as frustrated and as angered as I see this, it's it's as a Canadian because I know the ripple effect this will have and the impact that it will have on our extremist movements here. And this is something that you know we're going to be writing and researching and reporting on for months to come. I mean, globally, I think. Globally, I, think I, I agree. Well, thanks for coming on the show and uh, you will be back on again soon, I'm sure, to talk about QAnon. Thank you very much for having me and I look forward to being back. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST.
Lorenzo. Benjamin. You on now, finally? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. Uh, the country is in trouble. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, we're all in trouble, I guess. Europe is in trouble. The US is in trouble. Canada is not that much in trouble, right? Uh, no, that's not true. It's actually not in good shape, I don't think. Damn. Also, everyone I speak to in Canada can't get tested. It's crazy. God. I've been tested like nine times. It's going to be a great winter, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really will be. It's going to be just can't, a, real, a real hoot and a fucking holler, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get to it. Uh, this is becoming a running theme on the show, but uh, we have yet another example of an amazing Silicon Valley tech bro dominated behemoth uh, union busting. Yeah, this is a great scoop from Lauren, who came back from uh, vacation with like two scoops in two days, not even two days, which is incredible. Love it. You love to see it. Shout out to Lauren. Uh, yesterday, she wrote about the, um, uh, the Google Union effort. And today, uh, she published a story about um, a company called IRI Consultants, that it's a pretty uh, notorious union avoidance firm uh, so this is basically a company that other corporations hire to figure out how to slow down uh, union uh, activists how to convince employees to vote no on union efforts and union votes uh, and do a lot of like pretty sketchy stuff like um, she got a document that shows that the IRI consultants um, helped uh, an healthcare company to profile 83 employees on like yeah that was like that was like the, the insane yeah that's like really the <laughs> that's that was the that was the one that stuck out for me yeah that's story. what drives like, the the whole story it's like this the the consultants like uh created a spreadsheet and uh, categorized people based on ethnicity motivations family background whether they're married their finances and the final goal was to create a rating from one to four on how likely they were to vote on uh, yes or no for the union. Um, and, and yeah, it's just like a, it's just, you know, it's just another one in a long series of stories that Lauren has, has written about, um, you know, tech companies doing everything they can to avoid unionization of their employees. Like a few few weeks ago, Lauren wrote about Amazon using the, you know, the Pinkerton detective agency. Literally. Yeah, we did a whole we did a whole pot on it. Yeah, and in this case, uh, she reports that Google may have uh, may have hired these IRI consultants to sort of keep an eye on the on their their employees. And yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, yet another you know yet another example of a uh, bad companies doing bad things. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing with these these Silicon Valley giants that are just they're some of the most profitable companies in the world. And yet they find reasons to cut and skim on their workers and, and making sure that their workers can't actually represent themselves in a union. And it, it's it kind of defies logic. I mean, you're you think if you were I mean, one of the classic arguments of not having union from management or, you know, I'm saying management in this amorphous way, but is that it'll cut into profits and everyone's going to suffer. or We don't have enough money to actually afford the benefits that a union can provide. But in this case, I mean, these are some of the most powerful valuable country or valuable companies in the entire world yeah and it's hard to believe their argument that uh you know a union um would cut their profits or make them 
uh, unsustainable because um, according to a report in 2019 that Lauren mentions in this story, uh, companies have spent $340 million on union avoidance consultants. And some of these people, some of these consultants are paid $350 an hour or $2,500 a day. Like, wouldn't you just, wouldn't it be just better to put this money in your employees' pockets? Yes. Yes, it would be. Yeah, it doesn't sound very complicated, but I guess um, I guess they don't want to. I think it's probably an issue that companies don't want to relinquish control. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's it's all it's just a, it's just a way of veiling to keep the top the top heavy and the bottom uh, not not having an equal share of the profits and, and what the company's actually making. But yeah. they, you know, that's I guess that's America. It's American capitalism today in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. Wow, I have to start saying that. Yeah, we're done with 2020. I have to start okay. saying that. I have to start saying that, which is crazy. Um, okay, so next one. UFOs, baby. UFOs. I Love it. do want to believe. I want to believe, Ben. I think I do believe. I, I think I'm beyond wanting. I just do. <laughs> yeah. We're- so one of the only one of the only bright spots, I guess, is uh, of this bill, if it actually gets passed, uh, is this COVID bill is there might be some UFO disclosures in it. So it cooked inside of it, along with whatever other weird thing Mitch McConnell tries to jam through. Yeah, this is pretty bizarre. Um, yeah, this is the bill that should uh, give uh, people in need uh, $2,000 in cash. Uh, and somehow legislators have, uh, well, in, in particular, Marco Rubio, have uh, pushed in a clause that says that the Pentagon needs to release information about UFOs or more specifically, its UFO task force within six months after the bill passes. So this means that in six months, we may know more about what the Pentagon is up to and what they know, what they actually know about aliens. What are they hiding? What are you hiding, Pentagon? Yeah, what are you hiding? Yeah, exactly. I just want to know. I just want to, I'm just going back to it. I want to know what that orb is. I just need to know what that orb is. I want to know what that orb, that flying crazy ass orb that you know, jumps in and out of frame and, and drops really low and goes up high like an F-18 fighter is looking at it and is just freaking out. They're, That's what they're I want to know. I need to us. know. They're hiding something. I know, yeah. <laughs> and the final one is uh, a little story about the CIA and its rebrand. Yeah, this is, when I, I saw this uh, logo, I saw the new CIA logo on Twitter yesterday and I thought it was a joke. It's just this weird uh, patch with uh, like, lines going through it and the very boring font it seems like a you know design firm uh, did this in 10 minutes uh but the idea behind this uh this rebrand is try to make the cia look like a more diverse more welcoming uh organization so they plastered a bunch of photos of black and brown people on the homepage. Uh, yeah and i, I did, that was one thing i was <laughs> because clearly like <laughs> Clearly, those are photos of not people in the CIA. That's 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 what, that's what I find really funny. It's like it's quite obvious those people aren't. Act- I mean, if they are, the CIA is really bad at what it does. Which I'm assuming it's smarter than that. That these are just stock photos. Yeah, why would you- <laughs> of like actors or or they're like I, I don't know maybe they're like algorithm algorithmically generated photos. That's a possible thing as well but in a way it's pretty <laughs> I just weird. was like who are they? it's really weird yeah. and I don't know if it really like 
Like, is this focus grouped? <laughs> why would you why would you plaster photos of people on the homepage of the CIA, which is a clandestine agency whose mission is to keep their agents' identities um you know undercover? And again, like really this font and this logo is just it just doesn't do it for me. I don't I don't I don't like it. Well well here well here's the thing, okay. So this is something I, I know to be true. The the CIA and generally I think intelligence has had a problem in terms of its recruitment of new agents over the last, you know, probably ten years. I think part of it goes back to even, you know, you look at the NSA disclosures that Edward Snowden was involved in wherein many of those sort of freedom-loving, smart cyber types that you and I interact with, or at least I used to a lot more, are not that interested in joining joining the intelligence community because they think it's sort of nefarious and moralistically uh, wrong. And I think this sort of like push to to diversity, I think it sort of reflects that, A, I think everyone knows the CIA is a very very white institution. It always has been. It was founded by a bunch of blue blood, like dudes who were descended from the Mayflower Yale racists in the fifties. And I think like, I'm not sure if it's really, I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, I know that it's changed a little bit in terms of its ability to recruit people of color, but I still, I I don't think it's anywhere near probably what it should be. There's been, you know, there's been racism complaints lodged against it in the last couple decades uh and i think this is sort of, this is clearly the cia's attempt i'm not sure if it landed is my is what i would say yeah i guess as you said like it makes sense for them to try to attract more diverse people uh there was there's there was even an internal report that showed that there was not enough diversity in the cia like this makes sense like the you know the goal of the effort makes sense i just don't know if like this website re- redesign will make any oh, no. difference uh, i think no i don't i don't i think, think it did. only attracted some dunks on twitter and that's it yeah i i i know that the people in inside the agency were really trying to push this this big rebrand and i don't know i don't know if it landed <laughs> i don't think it yeah, did i don't think it did i, I don't think it did but i mean like i guess who I, the, the, for the whatever, effort whatever, i don't know yeah whatever whenever government agencies do this i'm always like where's like the the Gen Z or millennial in the room to be like, guys, are we sure about this? Like, are we, are we confident in this? <laughs> yeah. It also like the new side looks like a startup site. I don't know. It's uh, it's strange. It, it does. It really does. If you'd given me like the, the, you know, the early, the beta version of it, I would have been like, you know what? Maybe, maybe let's rethink this guys. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good job. I would have been like, no more pictures. No more pictures. Not a good job. No Try again. Yeah. Yeah. Try again. Yeah, try. I think I think they got to go back to the old, go back to the, some bunker in Langley and uh, rethink this one. There's also I just I just looked at it. There's also a link to a section called Spy Kids on the website. Yeah, that was always there though. Yeah, kind of bizarre too, I guess. But that was that was our that was always there. Spy dogs. One thing I did notice is they they provide uh, different jobs and obviously they they show what jobs that you can apply for or, or you know put your your hat your name in the hat in the ring so to speak and cyber analyst is like one of the highest paying ones so mm. it's pretty clear like i think they're trying to recruit like new new types of hackery people 
um, because it was like, that was clearly the one that they were paying for. It was like base salary was like 95,000 and up to 170 or something like that. The cyber is getting hotter and hotter. It never ceases to amaze me how much people love to get on that cyber train, but we've been on it for years, Lorenzo. Yeah, we've been, we've been there since the beginning. So we're OG, we're OG. We're ready. All right. Well, that's, uh, that concludes the first cipher of 2021. Uh, Lorenzo, stay safe. Everyone out there, wear a fucking mask, please. Yes, please do. Thanks for listening to Cyber, though, and Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.